athletes. Take your mark. Get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Hey everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Hey, thank you so much for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. We greatly appreciate you doing so. Please continue to check out our website, addicttoathlete.org. You're going to find so much content on there. Our athletic director, Marissa, spent lots of time, labor and love, to put all of our backlog podcasts, information for recovery, our upcoming events, calendars, our meeting locations. Shoot, you name it, it's on addicttoathlete.org. Also, if you want to contact us, you know, if you have questions about addiction recovery, our uh, recovery coach program, feel free to check out our website and connect with us through the links available. Hey, everybody, uh, as we kind of march through the uh, September and recovery month, uh, I want to give a big shout out to everybody who continues to you know, get into uh, the engagement of your communities by assisting and helping in, in recovery days and uh, some of the, the local 5Ks that go to benefit addiction recovery. I want to just give my, my uh, thanks to everybody who participated um, in these, specifically here in the Utah area. I know it takes a lot of effort and a lot of uh, you know, decisions and planning and coordinating to make it happen, and you've done it. So uh, my hat is tipped to you. Uh, congratulations on, on a successful experience thus far. And I want to give a special shout-out and thanks to our team, Addict Athlete, and our cycling event that we had just recently. Addict Athlete was able to participate in a Salt to Saint bike race. That's where we start in Salt Lake City, Utah, and pedal all the way to St. George, Utah, which is a little over like 420 miles-ish. And uh, we did that this time as proxy for a very special athlete that unfortunately we never got a chance to meet, but we were able to meet his parents at the uh, National Overdose Awareness Night, Jesse Beeman. And so Jesse, I just want to again you know, thank you and your parents for allowing us to carry your name. And uh, we definitely felt the measure of what that experience was, um, specifically with uh, just having these people be able to use their legs to carry the message of recovery and to uh, hope that you know, everyone out there will remember who you are. And so I want to thank the Beeman family for allowing us to do that. Athletes, we have a great guest today, and because of time and some things that got caught up with him, we uh, had to cut it down to a half hour. But that's okay because I think we got a lot of good stuff from uh, this individual. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of an update. Maybe this is the perfect situation and scenario because many of you uh, probably know who he is. Some of you may not. But today we're going to interview Chris Heron. And Chris Heron um, was a, uh, a former uh, NBA basketball player. He played for several teams in the NBA. Uh, he played overseas, and he, he had an amazing college career. Um, you know, and uh, he's turned into an author and has been uh, an instrument in recovery, I would say a titan in the industry, to help assist people getting into recovery with the Heron Project. Um, I've uh, followed the Heron Project for many years, and it was a complete honor to be able to sit down with him. Even though our time was short, I think you're really going to enjoy what we, we discovered and what we got. But to give you a little bit of background, um, Chris attended uh, BMC Durfee High School in Falls River, Massachusetts from 1990 to 1994. And his family, they have a deep history in, in basketball and playing and, and the game. And he finished his career at Durfee High School with a total of 2,073 points, which is insane. At that time, and I believe it still is, he had the most career points in, any, in, in the high school history. So he was given uh, an opportunity to play for Boston College, and he turned down Kentucky and Duke University to play for Boston College. Now, entering Boston College, he was featured in uh, Sports Illustrated, hyping his uh, possible success because he was a dang good player. But before playing... Chris failed a drug test for marijuana and cocaine. So on November 25th of 1994, his first game for Boston College, he scored 14 points in 21 minutes of time. He uh, ended up you know, 
breaking a wrist, and he was ruled ineligible for that full 94-95 season. So it was in three months after his injury, uh, Heron failed two more drug tests for marijuana and cocaine and then was expelled from the team and the university. Well, Fresno State took a chance on him, and uh, after he got kicked out of Boston College, he was transferred to uh, Fresno State, and he was held to be an amazing player there, even by Rolling Stone magazine. After sitting out one whole year because of NCAA transfer years, you know, Heron made his news by moving over there and you know, got involved in a disturbance at a local bar. Heron impressed everyone at practice, but his off-the-court antics kind of got him in some trouble. So when he started playing and started focusing for the Bulldogs, he would average 31 points a game, and that is amazing. But as you know, these things typically happen. Heron found that he had failed another drug test. After going to rehab for a 21-day stint, he returned to the team on January 10, 1998. And in that particular season, there was a lot to be featured on Fox Sports documentaries um, Between the Madness, where viewers got an inside, I guess, look at uh, the charismatic uh, Chris Heron as he turned the tables on uh, a Mike Wallace interview. And you should watch this because it is kind of interesting. You can see some of his charisma there. So despite some of the problems that he was facing uh, on and off the court, there was a lot that he was gaining. And during his senior season uh, for the Bulldogs, Heron scored 29 points in the second round of the Great Alaska Shootout against number one ranked Duke. Fresno lost the game 93-82, to which was nationally televised. But overall, you know, Chris played in 86 games at Fresno where he averaged 15.1 points and 5.1 uh, assists per game, which is incredible. Uh, his professional career began in 1999, and after his senior year at Fresno State, he entered the NBA draft and was selected by the Denver Nuggets in the second round pick with a 33rd overall pick. And as some of these things typically happen, he was traded to the Boston Celtics, which was kind of an interesting thing because that's a hometown. So playing for the hometown Celtics was such a deep history. Chris got his chance to be you know, a starter on the Boston Celtics, and I think that has to be like the pinnacle of anyone's career. But there was so much going on inside of his head, inside of his mind, and so many things outside that was you know, kind of you know, pulling him each way that uh, he really did kind of struggle uh, off the court. And you go back and look at some tape and you can kind of see, you wonder, like, is he doing all right? After, after a while, uh, Chris was released from the Celtics and he ended up playing 70 games uh, as a member of the Nuggets and the Celtics you know, as a total. And he actually went across seas to play uh, for teams in Italy, in Poland, in Turkey, China, Germany, and Iran. And he once scored 63 points in a CBA game in, uh, for the, the Belgian Ducks. So all of these things were, were going well. There was some turmoil and some chaos, and there were some issues throughout his career. The, the real problem that Chris was struggling with was his drug use and uh, some of the issues that were relating to that. He struggled with addiction for much of his career. While playing for the Celtics, he started using painkillers, uh, you know, Oxycontin and, and Vicodin and Percocet. And in December 2007, he was charged with possession of heroin after passing out in the drive-thru of a Dunkin' Donuts in Rhode Island. In June of 2008, in Fall River, he overdosed on heroin and crashed into a utility pole. And according to the paramedics, he was uh, allegedly dead for about 30 seconds. So you can kind of see some of this er, er, it's inner dialogue going on of like, you know, hey, you know, you're a drug addict, you're an NBA star. I can only imagine what he was wrestling with you know, through all these, uh, these kind of experiences. 
After completing intensive uh, rehabilitation programs, Chris, uh, he developed a, a mindset of recovery and really kind of had some aha moments. And there's a lot that I would really say, go, go grab his books that we'll talk about in a moment because he goes into great detail in some of his experiences. And he really did commit this last time to do it the right way. I think after some of the experiences, he realized that if uh, he didn't change, it was going to ultimately take his life. So through all that, Chris has been able to remain clean and sober since August 1st, 2008. And he's had tremendous experiences that have really catalysted him into helping so many people. You know, things like in 2009, uh, launching a program called Hoop Dreams, where he helps underdevelopment players uh, and the up-and-comers, you know, learn how to play the game and get the skill sets. He's written a book. Uh, he's, he's been in a, a documentary aired by ESPN called Unguarded. There's been a lot of experiences that he's been able to have now in this sober lifestyle that he's achieved that has really put him in the forefront of assisting a lot of people. And he has just recently, in the last you know, 11 years, been able to put his efforts into the Heron Project. It's interesting, the Heron Project started in 2011, which was the same time Addict to Athlete began. And so I kind of know about how much it takes to, to de dedicate the time and the efforts into these kind of nonprofits. And so he really has done extremely well with you know, reframing his mindset, uh, becoming that agent of recovery as we talk about so much, turning that mess into a message. And I really hope that you guys find a little bit of, uh, I don't know, strength in some of the words he speaks. Now, you know me, Coach Blue, I don't get into some of the history, and because of the time, I wanted to talk to him about the here and now, because there's so much you will be able to learn on your own, you know, by Chris, that I really want you to go check out some of the media, some of his books, um, watch the documentary, and you get a feel for who he is. So, uh, athletes, I was really excited to interview Chris, uh, so we'll jump into that now. Athletes, take your mark, get set, it's time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Hey everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Hey, listen, I want to thank you all for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. We greatly appreciate you doing that. Athletes, today we have a great guest on here, one we've, we've uh, been following for quite a few years, who has a, a heartbeat in the rhythm of helping people overcome addictions and using some of his influence of his past and his history to help in increase the awareness of what's possible out there in the world of recovery, overcoming obstacles. Today, athletes, we have Chris Heron. Chris, thank you so much for sh uh, slicing out some time for us today here on Addict to Athlete. Um, how you doing today, brother? We'll get jumping into this. I'm great. I'm great. You know, one day at a time. It's uh, super blessed. Um, you know, I'm walking around my wellness center right now, and, and I'm with the most important people, the, the newcomers. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I love it. I love it. Athletes, Chris Heron has uh, started a project, a project out there uh, back east called the Heron Project, specifically to help people overcome addictions. And Chris, you know, I think uh, to, to skip some of that middleman, I, I know that you have a lot of information out there. And athletes, I highly recommend you do some research on Chris. A lot of you guys have been aware of him because we've talked about him in some of our groups about overcoming adversity. But Chris, I'm curious, man, going from a, a situation where you were in, you know, the, I mean, we're talking like, you know, some impressive stadium playing basketball with, with professionals uh, left and right. How much more, I guess, I don't know, excitement do you get nowadays walking into a room of, you know, 12 to 15 people versus in, onto a court, a basketball court with thousands of people cheering? What's the difference for you when you leave that arena versus leaving that group room knowing that you've had a huge impact on, on these people's lives? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's extremely different. 
right? I mean, it matters uh, much more than a basketball game. So, you know, I've been speaking now for 12 years. I do about 200 speaking events a year. Uh, you know, I've, I've spoken in front of 10,000 and I've spoken in front of 10. Uh, and, you know, only the ego cares how many. Um, so it doesn't matter to me uh, who's in the room, how many are in the room. Um, you know, it's just the message to the people who need to be there, who want to be there. Um, you know, and I'm so blessed to still have a seat to listen. Yeah, absolutely. So you just mentioned those newcomers, and I love watching those those folks come in that really are kind of a little bit skeptical of like, is this really going to help? Maybe they've had a few you know attempts in the past to to try and overcome this. You know, we call them the rookies on Addict to Athlete, right? Um, what's your best? I don't know. What, what's your best? I guess advice for the rookies that come into the the world of recovery that really are kind of skeptic that that maybe it'll happen because I've you know read and known a little bit about your history. It wasn't the first time in treatment that you that you kind of caught that aha moment. It was a few a few different situations and and attempts to to jump into that. Like, what do you teach the rookies, the people that come in for the first time that are like, really, what can you do? What do you have that can help me? You know, I listen. I think it's it's all about surrounding yourself with empowering people. I think it's about um, listening. You know, uh, I think it's about opportunity. I think, you know, the newcomer, you just got to take suggestions, right? And, and, and I'm talking off a 12 step base, right? That's my foundation yeah. of, of recovery. Um, but I also, you know, I've tweaked it somewhat. Like, I think it's very important to not just have a sponsor. I think it's, it's important to have a board of directors. I think, you know, when you mm. get into early recovery to, to align yourself, to set yourself up with, you know, a boardroom of people that you uh, that you respect, that, that, you know, you'll, you'll listen to, um, and want them to be part of your recovery. So, you know, again, the newcomer will always be the most important person in the room because I know what it's like to be new and I know what it's like, you know, holding on by your fingernails, but, um, recovery wasn't that recovery wasn't that attractive to me when I, when I tried to get sober at 21, you know, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't, like this thing that was, for lack of a better word, pitched to me like this is going to be beautiful. It was pitched yeah. to me like you're, you're not allowed to do what you were doing anymore. You know, it's almost like, it, 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 you know, recovery was almost like it was like a, you, were, you, were, you caught an illness. Like you can't, you know, you, 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 they were going to restrict you. So um, that's not how recovery was given to me back then. You know, and, and sadly, sadly, I'll still see people in airports and, you know, they'll say to me like, oh, you know, I feel so you can't have a drink. Like you can't you can't yeah. just have one drink. And, you know, I tell them, like, I thank God I can't have a drink. You know, yeah. I, I thank God that I can, you know, dance with my wife at a wedding or travel with my kids on vacation. And I don't need that outlet anymore in my life. Um, yeah. you know, I take, I take great pride in the fact that for the last 14 years, I've been able to, you know, to remain true to not only myself, but to my family. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Listeners, 
I, I love that you're talking that way because that board of directors is much kind of what I like to teach the athletes that I'm coaching into recovery. And that's, that's telling them, Hey, you got to build a strong home team. Mm-hmm. Like on your, at your home, you don't, you know, you have home court advantage, right? You don't let dumb things come in here and influence your home court. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about that, those board of directors, the people you surround yourself with, the people that understand that you do have limits and boundaries, but also that there are some things and some different plays you have to run to make sure that your sobriety stays strong in that realm. I think that's awesome. So tell me, yeah, go ahead. No, I just, recovery touches so many parts of your life. It impacts so many different parts of your life, addiction as well. And not everybody's, you know, not everybody's guidance or, you know, their experience can touch that. So to, to surround yourself with multiple people that you can go and get their expertise on certain parts of, you know, what you're going through to me is extremely, extremely important. And, you know, we, uh, you know, home court is, is, is crucial. I, I think that when it comes to recovery, um, you know, I tell all the newcomers, like, get ready for monotony, you know, settle in, settle into the monotony. Like, and they look at me like, oh, I don't like monotonous. Well, listen, I used to shoot at a basketball rim a thousand times a day. And that's how I got good at it. I dribbled the basketball for two hours a day and I became good at it. So recovery requires the same type of discipline, the same type of attention. And you got to be okay with the monotony that recovery kind of interjects in your life. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love that mindset. And, and when you teach that, to be okay during those times, it makes those times actually a little bit more, I don't know. <laughs> I guess beneficial because then they'll say, Hey, I can, I can do really hard things and I don't have to have that mindset of I've got to block all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. I know well, for me, being a therapist and being a, you know, a, a substance abuse counselor, I've worked with a lot of people, Chris, and I found that a lot of people have addictions that stem from some kind of core issue revolving around trauma. Mm-hmm. And one of the neat things that I've seen that, that health athletics and movement does is I believe that movement equals healing, mm-hmm. you know, not just sitting around, but doing something, giving back. Um, you, not just in your own recovery, but what have you noticed about people that really kind of get behind their sobriety by turning that mess of addiction into the message of sobriety, much like what you've done with the Heron Project and with your speaking engagements? You are one of those agents of recovery that I love to talk about because you didn't just kind of tuck your head in a world where talking about this and the stigma behind it, man, that's almost worse than the headlines in the paper because, you know, rumors, they fly. How in the world uh, do you teach these people that say, hey, if I can turn my mess into a message, so can you? Yeah. I mean, listen, I think it's, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate, right? I I never had any intention on being the messenger, right? Like it just kind of happened organically for me. If you asked me 10, 12 years ago, if I was going to be a speaker on addiction and recovery, I would tell you, I have absolutely no idea how to do it. Um, You know, and and thankfully it happened organically. Um, And and for me, it was just, I was fortunate to have a family that were okay with putting it all out there, you know, and, and, and putting it all out there and letting everything come out onto the table. Um, It just, it just made it easier for me. And, and, and to start unguarded, you know, my wife and I had many sleepless nights kind of reviewing unguarded and saying like, Mm -hmm you know, should we put that in? Should we take this out? Should we put this in? What's the, what's that going to look like in five years? Um, 
but I, you know, I thank God every day that we did not erase, that we kept it all out there. Because for me, it was about, you know, from, from my wife and I, when we, when we watched that, we said, you know, what if, what if that part is what somebody needs? Um, uh -huh. So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, you know, my, my message has evolved over the years, right? I, when it comes mm -hmm. to kids, I think, especially young athletes um, and, and young students, I think when it comes to addiction, we focus on the worst day and we forget the first day. You know, we, mm -hmm. we want to we show people pictures of drug addicts. Like, look, at, look how bad they are instead of, mm -hmm. instead of the beginning. And I think once we recognize the beginning, like you said, the trauma, where it starts, then I believe we have a chance at intervening early and changing people's lives. Oh, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing I've, I've found, too, is that when, when you talk about it, you come from that humble part of your, of your heart. It's like, you know, I get it. And although all of our circumstances on how we got to that addiction may be different, there are some very commonalities. You know, there's a lot of common things that happen. Um, what have you found that works just with that one-on-one -on -one person, that one person that just is like, you know what, I get it, but man, you're Chris Heron. You, you, you had all these other opportunities and breaks. They don't realize that you played the same game that everyone else plays about the guilt, the shame, the remorse, the, you know, the anxieties. All those are the same. It doesn't matter what arena you're playing those in. Everyone has those. When they start realizing that you carry the same kind of emotional currency that they carry – do you notice the, do you notice the kind of the, the lean in, maybe the buy-in? Well, I mean, listen, I didn't, you know, I was 32 years old and, and there was nothing left in my life besides really what mattered, you, you know, the love yeah. of my family, right? But when it came to, yeah. you know, finances, homes, cars, everything is gone because of, because of my addiction. So I didn't go to a, a wellness center like my wellness center where I'm sitting at right now, right? There's 36 yeah. people living here and they're waking up in the morning and the first thing they do is yoga. And then they go to my personal trainer and they, they work out in the gym and you come, you pull up at 9 a.m. and there's people running the track and, you know, they're moving. I didn't have that. You know, I went into a center with 96 men. I lived with 12 people in a room and I had to wash dishes and, and make my bed every morning. So, um, you know, I didn't have a head start, right? Like I started right where I was supposed to start and, and I did it the hard way. I, I finally, uh, I finally gave my esteem a chance. Like I finally said, Chris, like, you don't have to fake, you don't have to talk about the past. You don't have to live in those moments, like live now, just yeah. live right now, because right now this is your true baseline. And once I identified that true baseline where I was at in my life, you know, in, in when I was in treatment, I saw myself getting better. I saw myself working. I saw myself improving. And that esteem was very necessary for me. Yeah. Yeah, God. I, I think about that too. And I think, you know, sometimes when we get our heads and our, and our, and our minds caught so far back there in the past, we do. We have a hard time seeing the future. Because yeah. you know, it's like you take a shot and you miss it. You can't keep worrying about that shot. You got to take the next one. So it is kind of a great mindset to have that. So I'm curious, though, because you did have a couple of shots at recovery at some different facilities. What was it in the last one that, that really kind of grasped that aha moment that's like, you know what, I'm, yeah. I'm done. I think we all kind of lean into it a different way. But like, what was it for you that last time where you're like, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to do it this way. This is what I think and I feel I need to do. 
You know, I, I think, again, I think we, all, we don't come in on winning streaks, right? And it's true. You know, it's, it's true. It's, it's really easy to get caught up in the negativity that, you know, of 96 men living under one roof in a treatment center. Um, but there's multiple things that happened to me. And one being, um, a guy told me that I should envision my children watching me while I'm going through my recovery process. Like every room you walk into, every meeting you sit in, your children are right behind you and, and they're listening and they're watching. So go walk through your recovery like your kids are there. And, and to me, in very early recovery, um, that was helpful. That was extremely helpful for me to know that the people who love me and care about me, I'm, take, I'm walking them in to this meeting with me. And, you know, I tell people here all the time at Heron Wellness, like, you know, some of your family members, they work harder than you. Like if you told, I tell them, if you told your mom, come check in here, she'd work harder than you for your recovery. And, you know, that's important. And I think, um, you know, for me, it was just, it was finding the ability to be transparent, to be authentic, and to let everybody know who I really was and where I was at in life. Man, yeah. Yeah, and how hard was that, though, brother? Because, again, I think authentic people in recovery have that mindset. But some people still are afraid of that past, and they kind of you know, suppress it and hide it. You've got to have so much more success having that kind of a mindset to show people those true colors, mm. rather than trying to pretend and portray that you're something else, that you are Superman, that you are, that you do have all the answers. You know, like, did you find like that mindset, and I'm not going to call it a buy-in, but people lean into their recovery a little bit more because they're like, man, this is more genuine than I thought. Maybe this is what I need to learn, learn and lean into. Do you find that being a, a benefit, yeah. being real instead of hiding? I mean, I, I, I think you have to lean in. I think you have to, right? I, I think if you don't lean in, you're living in that gray area. Um, yeah. You know, and that's why doing Unguarded and writing a book, that's why it was so important to me because I leaned into it and I wanted people to say like, you know, you don't have to feel ashamed for all of your, the things you've done. Like, let's build up from, from today. And, mm -hmm. you know, the thing for me was like, if, you know, if I walk into a basketball gym 14 years ago, you know, my jumper wasn't right, you know, but if I went to the gym for a year straight and worked on my, my jumper will get right. And, and to me, there's no difference in recovery. Like there's certain things that you have to do. There's certain marks you have to hit in my opinion. And, yeah. you know, whether that's focusing on, you know, like you said, moving, fitness, health, mindfulness, meditation, meetings, whatever it is, you've got to hit your marks because once people start hit, start missing their marks, you watch them kind of drift off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I love that. I love that. Did you ever think you'd be an author? I mean, you're talking about professional athlete, but author and all that stuff too. I mean, that's, that's pretty wild. Which, which are you kind of like really proud of? I mean, that you look at this big scope of what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, I think writing a book would be wickedly tough, man. Like how hard was that? Cause I think you yeah. do that. You're dumping all this stuff in there and it's therapeutic and relieving for you, but you're also like, these are all my, this is all my soul in here. Like, that's got to yeah. be a little bit interesting to deal with and wrestle with those feelings. You know, it's a long fourth step, right? I mean, that's is what it, you know, <laughs> yes. um, yeah. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a huge inventory. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to people when I did it. I did it. I was like two years sober. Um, and the reality is I'm unbelievably blessed to have come out of that, you know, still sober because, you know, the emotional commitment and the taxing nature of, of, of opening up your soul um, yeah. day in and day out is extremely, extremely difficult and risky. So um, yeah. for me, it was it was not the brightest move, I would say. And I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it to people who are uh, who are early in recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the message is in there, like you said, and you know, having your wife be able to be there, kind of as a as a proofreader and some emotional healer going on there, being like, yeah, I think that needs to be in there because you're right. Our stories, again, although kind of different, are kind of the same too. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the Heron Project because I've watched you guys for quite a while, and 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 I've and I've loved seeing some of the social media stuff come out of there because there's. There's such a need for this genuine type of like, you know, like counseling and therapy and resources for people. Um, when did that come about? How did you start it? Because that's not easy either. I mean, trying to jump through all those hoops and just be like, hey, now I'm really going to take on a challenge. I think that's probably more intense than some of those games you've played, just starting and getting this program up and running. Yeah, you know, for me, it just came from a really genuine place, right? So it wasn't that difficult because I wasn't, I didn't. I didn't walk into the Heron Project 12 years ago and say, I'm going to raise $10 million and I'm going to help, you know, thousands and thousands of people, right? It was, yeah. I, just, I just want to put a little something together so I can be that phone call for some family or for someone. Um, I want to be a resource. I want to give back what I've been given. It was really an act more of mm. service than it was creating this foundation, um, yeah. and, and I, I believe Heron Project is still very successful because everybody who works for it and involved in it, it's an act of service, right? It really mm-hmm. is. And, and, you know, in order to, I tell people all the time, like, you know, there is nothing more valuable in life than having a front row seat to what we have here. Like I, we get, we get to sit courtside. And watch people's mm-hmm. lives completely change and be rebuilt. And yeah. it's not many people in life get that miracle. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I would say like people who work in oncology or people who work in the hospital in the ICU, they watch people kind of come back to life. You know, we watch that live here, you know, and, and Heron Project, Heron Wellness, Heron Talks, you know, that's been the mission from day one is, is just to reach one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll say this, it's, you know, I did a, I did a, a podcast this morning um, with a young lady who heard me speak 11 years ago, 10 years ago, um, when she was a wow. student. So to see that come for full circle now is, has, you know, it's just, it's extremely touching because, you know, that was the mission from the get-go and that still remains the mission. It's incredible. It's incredible because, again, you can always have your, your, your mind stuck back in that past, the should have, could have, would have, but that doesn't get you anywhere. You seem like you're a man who's leaning forward and kind of like, you know, saying, hey, guys, there's a more excellent way. Let's let's go check this out. Um, so you've been having the, the, the Heron Project's been going on for, let's say, 11 years? Is that what yeah. Oh, my heavens. And you've seen probably a lot of successes and you've probably seen some heartbreaks and stuff. What gets you up to get there every day to keep going? I mean, you know, you're a busy guy. I know this. We've tried to get you on this podcast before. So you are constantly living that that 12th step of service, of carrying that message. 
Um, how are you doing that, brother? How are you keeping yourself above the waterline? Yeah. Doing all this for the community and the recovering population, but keeping your head above the waterline. Well, you know, we've I have an unbelievable staff, right, in all areas of my world. Like I'm surrounded yeah. by I'm surrounded by very talented people. Um that again are very mission driven. Um, so whether it's Heron Talks, Heron Project, Heron Wellness, I just have amazing people that I've surrounded myself with. And, and like I tell people in recovery, right? Like my whole life, I wanted to get on the best court. I, yeah. want, I wanted to play in the best court with the best players at the best time. And, you know, to me, that's no different in your personal life, professional life and what we do today. Like I want to be around the best. I want to surround myself with the best. I want to, I want to work with the best. And, you know, none of this would be possible if it wasn't for the people who, who've bought in and believed in the mission and, and, you know, just love having a front row seat. Absolutely. Man, brother. So, so good. Um, I know you got a hard out, but please tell me a little bit about the um, <clears throat> ways people can contact you, the, your, your books, your social media outlets, the Heron Project. How do people reach out to, to get what you got? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm easy to find, right? I'm not a, I'm not a, yeah. I'm not a huge self promoter when it comes to that type of stuff. Heron Wellness. Heron Project, Heron Talks, um, you know, are, are all all vehicles um, in, into our mission. And, you know, anybody can reach out and, and you know, find something. Um, you know, at Heron Project, we navigate for families who, you know, all of a sudden wake up with this really deep, dark moment in life. And now they're they're expected to adjust and make really good decisions. Um, yeah. You know, we, we want to, we're that vehicle for them. Um, we have family support groups. We have, you know, we, we just, we give scholarships um, to sober living. But, mm. you know, if you told me, you know, 10 years ago that we would help 2,500 people um, get into treatment and, and give, give scholarships to, I would have said you were crazy because, I, I didn't want to live there. I didn't want to live yeah. that, you know, with with the goal that I'm going to help so many. I just wanted to live with the mentality that I'm going to wake up and help one today. Uh, yeah. And that's that's just kind of been me from the beginning. And I'm very fortunate. Well, Chris, you're, you're doing it, brother. And like I said, I've, I've watched you guys for, for many years and I've, yeah. and I've seen and it's been a part of, of just like watching from that that spectator stand of like the good that you're doing. And we need more people like that out there. I was an owner of my own facility that uh, we decided to shut down because it just wasn't the industry I, I liked. I liked doing the, the nonprofit stuff that we're doing over here. So my hit, my hat is absolutely tapped to you guys who do that labor intensive hard work mm -hmm. because it's needed. And now more than ever, I mean, we're you know this, we're losing hundreds of people a day to overdose and so really uh it's it's a it's an uphill battle but you're used to that man you're used to helping in those in those uphill battle moments so thank you for all that you're doing listeners please check out the harem project please his website and his books here on the links to the addict to athlete podcast and um you know chris uh you know one last thing man what's that one thing that last that last piece of advice you give to somebody who doesn't uh who just doesn't think that it's possible what do you tell them you know, for me, it's, uh, I would have been, I was so wrong. You know, I was so wrong 14 years ago on who I thought I was going to become. Um, yeah. you know, I sold myself so short. I was so far off. Um, 
you know, recovery to me, and I tell this to kids all the time, recovery has given me an advantage in every facet of my life. So why not go after it? Exactly. Exactly. Every, why, not, why not go after it? Every facet of my yeah. recovery is improved. And, and you know, that. it's, uh, again, you know, it's tough to see through that in early recovery. But, you know, I tell people all the time I was so wrong. I was I was so far off the mark who I thought I could be and what I'd become. Um, and, you know, that's that's the beauty of, of living one day at a time, right? Yep. Absolutely, man. I love it. The, the only thing that matters is right now. So yeah. thank you, brother. Hey, listeners, you've been well fed. Please continue to support the Heron Project by checking out Chris' books and, and uh, you know, jump on his socials because there's some neat stuff there, a lot of inspiration for recovery and some guidance and direction. And until next time, athletes, please continue to turn that mess into a message.